This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by Commonwealth Engineers. Commonwealth Engineers helps communities with their most challenging water resource needs. We take a holistic approach to including technical, financing, regulatory, and operations considerations. To our existing client communities, thank you for your trust. To those we have not yet had the pleasure to work with, please contact us to discuss how we can be of assistance. Visit us at commonwealthengineers.com. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. I'm Jennifer Simmons with AIM. Joining the podcast today are three familiar voices. We have AIM CEO, Matt Greller, Jenna Bentley, our Government Affairs Director and Noblesville Mayor and Chairman of the AIM Legislative Committee, Mayor Chris Jensen. Mayor, welcome. Matt, Jenna. Thanks, Jennifer. Great to be here. You bet. You bet. Um, All right, Mayor, we're recording this podcast the day after the municipal election. It looked like you had a nail biter there in Noblesville, but you squeaked by due to being unopposed. So congratulations. Uh, How was voter turnout in Noblesville? Thanks. Pretty, pretty dismal. Anytime you have a mayoral race that's unopposed, it's going to, it's going to obviously shrink your turnout there. Um, And, uh, but, but I applaud, I just want to say quickly, anyone who put their name on the ballot yesterday, thank you. Thanks for stepping up. Thanks for offering ideas. It's a humbling experience. Uh, I assume this is my only time I'll ever get a free pass. That was unreal. It kind of let us get back to work, which was nice, but I know a lot of people worked really, really hard and congrats to all the winners. And thanks again to all those who fell short and I hope you maintain your involvement in your community. That's well said. Um, you know, AIM is obviously a nonpartisan organization. Um, however, it, it's just a fact that our, we are impacted by each municipal election cycle. Matt, um, you were watching the election returns closely all around the state. Any big news to report? Um, anything, you know, surprising to you? I, I just think from a mayor's perspective, it, you know, I always say that's the easiest group to track because there are a limited number throughout the state. The number of open seats that we have heading into the fall is, I think, unprecedented. We have at least 40 uh, cities right now that will have new mayors uh, in 2024, which is an extremely high number heading into the election. And of course, there will likely be more uh, new folks uh, after the election in the fall. So I just think that's the sort of the overwhelming storyline from a name perspective, the the number of new individuals that will be coming into office. And I think just anecdotally, that seems to be true for council races and clerk treasurer races too. Obviously, there are hundreds more of those offices around the state and it's harder to track. But from what I saw last night, a number of new folks are coming into office. And Matt, if I could just chime in real quick about how important that is and then for AIM, you know, that that's why I think, you know, I think about the community to my left and on my left, I don't know why I said that, but to my, to my West, uh, Westfield has a brand new mayor, clerk, treasurer, and all seven council members are all going to be brand new. And I think we're, that's where an organization like AIM can come in so handy, the newly elected 
officials training and just the support that you guys give. So thanks. And obviously be ready to, to help out those communities and, and hopefully other mayors that are incumbents that are going to be taking off, you know, that will be in their second or third or fourth term will be ready to step up and help those as well. Yeah, well, sure. I, can't, I can't let that plug go to waste. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that AIM does provide a lot of newly elected officials training um, after the general election in November. Uh, we will have regional trainings, mayor school, a day for clerk treasurers, and then boot camp in January 2024, where everyone comes together in Indianapolis for many, many workshops that offer training for things you will face in your first weeks in office, all the way through your first year in office. So it's uh, it's vital. And with this kind of turnover, um, it's really, it, it's a can't miss type event. And we'll be putting out a lot more information on that. Uh, in the meantime, we do have a lot of resources on the website, but okay, enough enough shameless plugging. Let's uh, dive into why we're here today. Uh, the recently adjourned legislative session. So what, not even a, a week ago, the legislature ended their uh, long session, their budget writing session. It's a little early for an intense analysis of the bills that were passed to be complete, but what were some general observations from the session? Um, you know, we'll dig into a few specific issues, but Mayor, Matt, Jenna, I'd just love it if you would weigh in on how the session went, you know, your real feels. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in real quick and then to get off to Jenna. Jenna is the one that does so much legwork there at the State House, which I just hope we all appreciate the effort that she puts in. Um, you know, and it is it's one of those things where you, you can have the best laid plans going into a legislative session um, and it can go to hell in a handbasket really, really quickly, um, especially there towards the end. So I think we were really we've done a nice job, I think, the last couple of years of trying to be more on offense uh, with the legislative uh, arena and really make sure that we're building strong relationships with legislative leaders, talking about upcoming challenges, just because it gets us a better front row seat when it comes to this discussion uh, the first the first half of the year. And I think we went in kind of with conversations all around from property tax to TIF to annexation, uh, it, you name it, on the, and even changing property tax cap levels and classifications for hospitals. And, and I think we wound up in a much um, better spot even than where we thought we were at the very, very beginning. You know, again, I think because of the relationships of AIM members across the state that were willing to jump in and talk to the legislators, not just when things are bad, but actually when things are good, give them support um, and has been has been key. So Jenna, you want to drill down on any specifics that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I really couldn't have said it better. I'm, you know, in the process of taking inventory of where the conversation started January and, and to your point, even before January, when we were doing our grassroots meetings and we had a lunch in Noblesville and I remember Speaker Houston saying property taxes, we're going to do something on property taxes and just how determined he was to provide um, some type of relief. So all session long, we knew that some property tax related measure was going to pass the General Assembly. Um, what we didn't anticipate is it was going to be one of the last, very last bills um, that passed this legislative session. I would say just an interesting component of this session is we had kind of three or four bills that all had municipal finance related provisions that whether it was germaneness or lobbying efforts that these things were up in the air until the last day of session. So we had 
House Bill 1499, which contains the, the property tax relief that ultimately did pass. We have House Bill 1454, the Department of Local Government Finance Bill, which is just a Christmas tree of provisions. And then even Senate Bill 419 for a time, which is the Department of Revenue Bill, had some food and beverage language that ultimately got moved over to DLGF. So I would say we went into session knowing we were going to have some tough conversations about municipal sources of revenue. I think we landed in an okay spot um, where, you know, we were advocating for targeted relief, um, but just kind of the uncertainty going into the last week of session was kind of unlike any other of the previous five or so sessions that I've been involved in. Jen, I would add that um, not just because Mayor Jensen's on here, the involvement day-to-day -day from our membership with their legislators was outstanding this session and the last couple of sessions. You know, whether it was Mayor Jensen talking to the speaker or to, you know, Senator X or Representative Y or Mayor Winicky down in Evansville constantly talking to his folks about various issues or the managers out in Hendricks County talking to Jeff Thompson about fiscal matters, uh, go on and on and on. The, the grassroots work and just having those relationships with legislators really proved valuable when we needed them to weigh in on specific issues this session, uh, maybe more so than any time in my history working with the legislature was really, really beneficial and really good to see. I think it was really important too for our legislative initiatives. Mayor Jensen mentioned it. We wanted to be really proactive this session and, you know, it was a clerk treasurer in Northern Indiana who got her senator to, to offer the prepayments and deposits bill and her engagement on that throughout just made our jobs at the state house easier. Um, anecdotes from our members on why residential TIF can help some of those smallest of communities was essential to getting that across the finish line as well. So not only when we needed them to talk about potentially some of the the negative consequences, but really getting those initiatives across the finish line was was really important this session. This is a good place to ask. Mayor Jensen, this was like your third session as chair of the AIM Legislative Committee. So you keep coming back for more and more abuse. It's great. We love it. Like, why are you attracted to this role? The state house, it's a tough place to be. It's hard enough to advocate for one community when you're doing it for, you know, all cities and towns, that's a tough job. Like what, what attracts you to that position? Why do you keep coming back? Yeah, well, first of all, it's an honor to serve in it. Um, you know, I have a product of the state house. I, I worked there for many, many years after college in my earliest days. It does kind of get in your blood when you're down there. And I think at the end of the day, that place is, is full of 150 people who genuinely care about why they're there. Um, and I would like to think are genuinely concerned about the future of the state of Indiana. So I think it, it's constantly a big puzzle to try to piece together who's passionate about what um, and how do you plug in a local issue. I think for me, Jennifer, that question is it, it helps me grow every single day because it's so important. I I get so focused on Nobles, Indiana. Obviously, I live, eat, and breathe it every single day. Um, but the issues facing Nobles, Indiana are very different than the issues facing Montpelier, Indiana, or Cordon, Indiana, or Ligoti, Indiana. The list goes on and on. And just being able to piece together and understand, okay, how does this issue maybe help Noblesville, but it could ultimately hurt a Batesville? And how mm -hmm. do we find common ground? And how can, can um, genuinely 
meaningful conversation happen to meet in the middle to find middle ground that benefits everybody so i love the puzzle i love to be a part of the conversation um and i and i love just learning about other communities and how how we can make everyone better to move the state forward yeah it really does get in your blood matt you talked a minute ago about grassroots and jenna i think we all have actually but i want to drill down a little bit so the grassroots or relationship building strategy um, was sort of born in the process of going from IACT to AIM. So when we had a major transition into this, this current more modern organization that focuses on innovation and creativity. And in order to do some of the things that we wanted to do as part of that transition, we needed um, legislative success, right? We needed to change the momentum at the state house and started really drilling down on relationship building and changing our reputation, I guess, at the at the state house. So you give like a, a state of affairs because it sounds like we had a really good session. Our members were reaching out; they were using those relationships. So, like that evolution has come a long way. Yeah, without question, and it, we have a long way to go. Um, and it's really establishing a relationship just like you do with your town council, your city council. You know, if you're the executive and you want to get things done, you're not going to go in there, you know, throwing bombs at every single meeting or every single event or whatever it might be. You're just constantly and repeatedly having a conversation with folks about your vision and what you're trying to do in your community. Same thing goes with the legislature it's really important for them to know that, you know, you've got this big sidewalk project going on in downtown and you know why it's important because the sidewalk's gonna be widened by six inches and that means you can increase foot traffic downtown and it, it increases the ability for folks with disabilities to, to get downtown, et cetera. Or you've got a big corporate project coming into town using TIF. You wanna talk to your legislators about those things and everything in between so that when we do have to go to them and talk to them about a specific issue during session, it's not the first time they're hearing from you. You've built up that credibility, you've built up that trust. And we have a good handful, more than a handful uh, of members, city and town officials doing that now, but we literally need hundreds more uh, going forward. You know, it's just probably a never ending uh, push to have more and more folks engage legislators on a daily basis or weekly basis or bi-weekly basis. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been really interesting to watch that evolution and see it start to bear fruit, but I agree with you too. There's a long way to go, a lot more to do. We certainly can't turn back or take our foot off the gas because we're going to have all these newly elected officials in November that need to start over building those relationships at the same time they're sort of learning their new role. And there's a ton of new legislators, you know, yeah, every couple of years. Yep, Mayor. Yeah. And Jennifer, I was just going to comment on that too. Um, I, I just can't drill home and, and talk about the importance too of, of being reinforcing positive things that are happening at the state house. I think mm -hmm. legislators, just like mayors, you know, we constantly are hearing. Uh, you know, I walk. There are those people that I walk down the street and see, and I, I'm like, oh, here we go. What, what are they mad about today? You know, and I'm sure legislators get that all the time. And I think they're doing a lot of great things down there. Sure, sure, there are things that come up that we have to go on offense and go down and explain why this isn't good for an X and Y community or whatnot. But there's a lot of great things happening. And, and just making sure that we're constantly engaged, 
12 months out of the year, not just yeah. three or four months out of the year on the great things that they're doing to move the state forward, I think is, has yeah. really helped transform and position AIM to be in a better seat. Yeah, that's a great reminder. It really is. And, and, the, and the perfect transition for talking about the state budget. So thank you. Uh, ready, right? So the state budget included $500 million to what we've been calling uh, continue via Ready 2.0. Um, so and just to give a little context, um, Governor Holcomb proposed Ready two years ago as a regional economic development effort that would sort of build on the regional cities concept. And that was funded, I believe, primarily using ARPA dollars. This round, we're, you know, the state is investing those dollars in Ready 2.0, which I just, I think that is really telling. Um, I think it shows commitment into what you were saying on the positive side there that shows a lot of movement in the legislature that they are seeing the benefits of quality of place-based economic development and I think that's that's a result of all the grassroots and the fact that we are talking more together about you know the benefits and what we need to keep growing the economy so that's my that's my spiel. But Mayor, you know, talk about ready and and what you think it means that it's included in the budget at that level. You know, ready has really been transformational for so many communities. I, I remember my earliest days working at state government 15 plus years ago. These quality of life investments that you're talking about, Jennifer, were really kind of an afterthought. They were just yeah. that quality of life investments. Now they're directly tied to economic growth of our of our communities. In our mm -hmm. state. I think the governor has been very open and I think every local leader will tell you one of our biggest goals is to increase population of our community. We have to have that for future economic opportunities. And, and let's be honest, at the end of the day, we don't have an ocean in the state of Indiana. Uh, we don't have a mountain range. We have beautiful hills and wonderful lakes and reservoirs, including no Noblesville with Morris Reservoir. But, you know, we have to drill down and tell the Hoosier story about quality of life. We have beautiful rivers flowing our, through our communities. We have wonderful trail systems. We have um, just incredible opportunities that Ready is helping us to accelerate and move forward on. And that's what's going to help us uh, attract future talent to the state, but also maintain and retain our current talent that we have here. And $500 million is nothing to balk at. Um, mm -hmm. it, that's a that's real money, real that's revenue. Real money. Mm -hmm. That's real money. So uh, kudos to the legislature for seeing that and the governor for driving it home. Yep. Matt, Jenna, any, any thoughts on ready or really anything else in the budget just along that the lines of you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there for municipalities. It's not something we always follow to the extent we did this session. The state budget is the state budget. Usually some kernels in there that we care about. There was a lot this time. Yeah, in addition to the $500 million for Ready, there is, you know, an additional $225 million for public health, which is more and more a priority for our cities and towns. Um, and then you had I think $75 million for a new housing program. So from the Indiana Finance Authority, the state revolving loan fund to help municipalities and counties get housing infrastructure. I think as we sat on the housing task force last summer, what evolved for that for both developers and municipalities is the cost of infrastructure is really impacting um, the cost of housing in the state of Indiana. So that's one line item. 
that, you know, it's nothing to bulk at. That's a really um, great step in establishing a program to help with one of our greatest needs, which is underground infrastructure um, moving forward. So just some of those line items that, yeah, it's easy to gloss over in the budget, but those can really result in um, transformational projects. I think 30 million for trails, continuing the next level trails program and the success of community crossings and ensuring that road funding continues to, to be at levels that allow for that to occur, just things we never want to take for granted. Sure. Well, I think your comment, Jenna, too, about the, especially back to Ready, I think we're seeing, you know, we always not complain. We talk about the local level about local control. And I'm hopeful that the state continues and the IEC continue to allow locals to drive those programs, those ready programs, those next level trails, community crossings. Those are though that is local control. And I'm hoping the state continues to let us drive those. Just give us the tools necessary to drive the future results of our community. Yeah. Matt, did you want to throw anything in there? I was just going to add the housing example, you know, that the fact that a year or so ago at this point in time, we, we knew that there was going to be a housing task force and we thought, oh, great, it's going to be stacked against us. It's going to turn out, you know, we're going to have to fight tooth and nail. And it really turned out to be the exact opposite. Uh, we worked hand in hand with the builders. Uh, we were able to secure money uh, for a new grant program that'll be administered through the Indiana Finance Authority primarily for smaller, more rural communities, I would anticipate, um, but just got some really good work done there. And that was due in large part to Jenna and, and building that bridge with the builders and making sure the legislature was was uh, in step with us. It was a really positive experience from where we started a year ago to where we ended up last week. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the housing task force. And I've got another point to make on that here in a second, but, um, the task force concept is working at the General Assembly, taking the summer study committee concept, bringing in other stakeholders, having more meetings, you know, getting data. Like when you look back at transportation, you look back at the, the underground infrastructure, housing, I mean, these, this, um, you know, formula, I guess, for lack of a better term, is working. Um, and we're given a seat at the table for those. So just another, I guess, more evidence of the evolution of our organization and our involvement at the state house. But again, on housing, let's not forget to talk about housing TIF in a little more detail. That also was uh, born out of the housing task, or I shouldn't say born, some of the changes we wanted were um, also recommended by the housing task force. Um, I don't know who wants to take this one to talk about what the changes were and what they're gonna mean for cities and towns. I can kick it off, Jennifer. Sure. Um, so with residential TIF, we, we knew going into session, we were just hearing more and more about housing as we were traveling the state. Um, we were at several roundtables where housing got brought up as, you know, how do we attract developers to our communities and some of our slower growing communities who, who really need housing um, as a catalyst, you know, what can be done? And so taking a look at the residential TIF tool, um, it is not a silver bullet for housing, but it is a tool in the toolbox um, for municipalities. Unfortunately, prior to this legislative session, there were some guardrails in place or some parameters in place that really limited who could use um, residential TIF. So 
on our legislative agenda, we wanted to modify a couple of those provisions and really focus in on one, what we call the 1% test. So prior to the passage of House Bill 1005 this session, um, a community could only utilize residential TIF if they had less than 1% housing growth in their community over three years. So if you're talking about a community with a couple of thousand people, if they if five new houses were built over three years, they couldn't use this tool. Um, and so for some of those smaller communities, they do need some incentives to attract developers just because of the cost of, of building a home. So that provision was removed. All communities now have access to using residential TIF. Another piece that we were focused on was um, Prior to the passage of House Bill 1005, school boards had veto authority over a community utilizing residential TIF. And unfortunately, you know, we want to partner with our schools, but what we started to see is some school districts holding essentially residential TIF hostage, saying, you need to give us a million dollars for our football field in order for us to approve the use of this tool. Um, and uh, the math is, just isn't there to justify that kind of um, investment. And so often with residential TIF, the AV growth really is tied to the infrastructure costs. So um, that school board veto ability was removed this legislative session, but it's going to be an ongoing conversation because there's always that tension of who should pay for the cost of development. Is it the municipality or the developer? So residential TIF, it's under a four-year trial period. Um, after four years, if the General Assembly isn't happy with the direction it's going, it reverts back to current law. That 1% test will be back in place. The school board approval will be back in place. So definitely encourage municipalities who are considering using it, working with their developers to be strategic in the use of it, ensuring that it does go to infrastructure. Um, there's also some new reporting requirements tied to residential TIF where the General Assembly wants to see what cost, what's the average cost of the house where residential TIF was being used and what are the number of houses being built um, just to ensure that it really is meant for those communities who are struggling with any housing whatsoever. So I think it'll be a, an ongoing conversation, but in the meantime, a really positive outcome for our, our communities who were struggling to address housing needs. I, I will just back up, you know, and I've been, um, careful on how I uh, verbalize this. I, I think Jenna did a masterful job summarizing it. I think this tool is incredibly beneficial in communities that need to spur housing development. I just, you know, I've, I've talked to every mayor I can when it comes to this topic, just to make sure that we are using it responsibly, that we are, that mm -hmm. are, we are um, using it for the right reasons and we're incentivizing the right projects and the right communities. Cause I, um, just want to, you know, it, it, sometimes you're given an opportunity and we don't want to squander that going forward, obviously. And I think there is some hesitation. There clearly was hesitation around being able to let this go forward. And I just want to make sure that we're doing it correctly and um, uh, moving moving the right communities forward and the right type of projects forward. I'll, I'll say it a little more directly, Jennifer. I think um, it's going to be really important that we, as the mayor said, use it appropriately. This was designed truly for places that need to incentivize housing development. You know, I can think of a number of areas around the state where there's business located, but not enough housing stock available. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and in those kinds of situations, that's where it's needed and that's where it needs to happen. You yeah. know, the, the thought of using a housing TIF on a million dollar plus home type of an investment is going to get us right back to the legislature in about 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we want. That's not what this was intended to do. Uh, and we'll be having a lot of education and mm -hmm. opportunities for folks to listen and understand where where all the minefields lie in using this tool. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all blown away by getting some very positive TIF language out of the legislature at all, right? We cannot squander that. We have to prove that we can handle this kind of local control. Jenna, I'm sorry, were you going to add something? I was just going to quickly add to Matt's point, too. I think education is going to be really important on this. And I mean, we worked with the Builders Association more than we ever have and since I've been at AIM and they've already invited us to participate at their board of directors meeting to talk about residential TIF. And I think it's in those situations where we work with the other stakeholders to ensure that it's it's being used strategically and in the right way to really incentivize um, housing where it's needed most. Yep. All right, before we close out today, um, Mayor, you know this, we typically cover a lot of quality of place projects, innovative programs, uh, creative things happening in cities and towns. Uh, what's happening in Noblesville that you want to brag about today? Oh, so much happening in Noblesville. You know, we launched a little while ago an Innovation Mile project, which is 500 acres of masterland development on I-69 aimed at um, really master planning and developing a campus style for tech companies life science companies, innovative companies of the future. So we're going to be rolling out a master plan there that calls for, um, you know, EV charging stations and, and roads that are prepared for autonomous shuttles. And um, so that's that's really exciting as we lean in kind of the futuristic economic growth. But back to quality of life, you know, we're under construction with the Nickel Plate Trail that's going to connect our friends in Fishers to downtown from Noblesville to Fishers to downtown Indianapolis, the Midland Trace Trail is coming across from Westfield. So here in a few years, we're going to have a complete loop that will take you from downtown Noblesville to downtown Fishers to Indianapolis, then back up Indianapolis on the Monon to Carmel to Westfield, and then back across the Midland to Noblesville. Um, we're, we're embarking on a major master plan of downtown that involves the reimagining the, the riverfront, the White River that flows through our downtown. So um, we're constantly looking at those ways to, to make sure folks know they can live, work, and play in Noblesville. We have over 800 market rate units under construction in downtown for folks that are wanting to, to live in our in our urban community but in a suburban area um, so all of those have been fully leased out before we've even opened the doors to them um, and then I think in the next couple of weeks you'll see some pretty cool announcements about folks that are um, whether it be corporations or entities that are looking to call Noblesville home and we're excited to to welcome them and uh, be a city that is really everyone's hometown. Yeah that's great we'll be looking for those announcements uh, Matt, Mayor, Jenna, Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, for the AIM members listening, uh, don't forget to register for the uh, legislative recap webinar on May 9th so you can get more details of all the things we talked about here and much, much, much more. Uh, all right, guys, thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs>